Hey everybody, we have Ayushi Acharya today with us. Um, she is a therapist and she has her, we actually connected through her Instagram page, Love Your Behavior, um, with Emily on our little Instagram page. And she focuses on a lot of different things, currently has a private practice and has a background uh, working in different health facilities. But today we are talking about uh, different attachment styles and how those things can kind of, you know, affect your family relationships, your romantic relationships, your friendships, all that good stuff. And then also diving into uh, different like family conflicts, which I know Emily and I have talked about many times before, but we've never really done a deep dive. So very excited to get into these um, topics a little bit deeper. So welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing currently? Yes, I just want to say I'm really excited to be here with you guys, Emily and Ashley. Um, sure. So my um, journey with public health sort of started in Chicago. Um, I worked in a lot of major hospital systems there. I did a lot of community uh, public health, um, pro like making programs um, for transitional care, that sort of thing. Um, I did work in inpatient psych as well in, in Chicago. And then when I transi transitioned to Dallas, um, I was working in the NICU here. Um, I also worked at an IOP program with high schoolers. So like my work has kind of been a little bit of everything, but right now I'm really focusing on, I work with um, women, primarily um, couples as well. I'm going through major transitions in their life, whether that be um, having a new baby or divorce or, you know, kind of relationship problems um, or just working through sort of um, just any transition that they may be experiencing. Awesome. And I saw something that jumped out to me on your website was that you did mention just now that you worked in uh, neonatal care. That's really interesting. I've never heard of somebody with a psychology background working in that. So did you mostly work with like the parents and the families? just with what they're going through? Yes, yeah, so it was parents, families. It was, um, it's, it was more case management as well, making sure that the family had all the support systems in place when they went home with baby. Um, oh. And then, you know, in some cases, there was talking to families about comfort care or hospice. You know, there were some of those like really difficult conversations to be had as well. Um, also finding support for young moms and also just the emotional toll that just having your baby in the NICU like right. takes on on the mom um and the family really yeah i thought that was so interesting because i just never really thought about like that other side of mental mm -hmm. health care you know it's not just like your typical therapist you're going into an office and talking for an hour it's also you know the caseworker type situation so i thought that was really cool yeah i will say like the hospital will bring you a new perspective on mental health because you almost can't not have you know a case that involves mental health you know? right so that definitely brought in a lot of my like perspective you know with with those families and the, and the women there mm -hmm. yeah and i saw on your website that you also work um especially with like the south asian population have you noticed that there's any um, kind of like cultural differences, I guess you could say, with barriers to mental health care? Because I know that's a big thing with like the different 
populations like men, women, just the genders with different races, things like that. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your experience with it. Right. And, you know, even just being a South Asian therapist was not something that came to me lightly. It was something that I sort of had to negotiate, you know, in my life, like finding space for myself in this position um, because there was not many of us and there, you know, there is a huge stigma attached to like mental health, talking about mental health um, in South Asian families. Um, But that being said, you know, I really did want to make this space for, you know, my South Asian community so people have a place to come and talk to these things that they're experiencing and sort of reduce that stigma. Um, You know, I will say like my practice is primarily South Asians and, you know, and I, I am very proud of that because, you know, I do feel like not for like, as in like, I'm proud of myself, but I'm proud of like South Asian, the population, just like even taking that step. Cause I know like how much it, like what comes with it. And I know that it's not an easy thing to do, but you know, we're work you know, we're working towards it and it's been a really great experience. I will say that. That's, that's so awesome that, um, you're providing that space for the South Asian community to come. And I feel like a lot of times what I heard, like a lot of times in grad school, um, is that there's a lot of clients want somebody who looks like them, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a overabundance of white therapists, right, in the Mm -hmm. field. And so we definitely need more people of color to become therapists and so that we can have representation and we can have clients go to, you know, whoever they feel most comfortable going to. Right. And I will say like just certain like I think family aspects is a big reason why um, people like would prefer like your South Asian to see a South Asian therapist because they'll be like, you know, I saw a therapist and they told me, you know, why don't you just tell your parent how you feel? And, you know, that's just not something I've I've heard that multiple times. And, you know, that's just just not something we really do in our, our culture. You know, we really can't just tell our family how we feel, you know, it's not, it's not that simple or like setting boundaries. And so I've really had to think of like creative ways to sort of get, you know, help my clients reach the goals that they want, you know, in a way that's both like respectful for the culture too. So it's been a really unique space. I will say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure you have so much, um, you know, the experience you've gathered as I'm sure you have so much knowledge that yeah could help the people um navigate those cultural barriers right and navigate how to go about solving family conflict which is never easy right but then if you throw in those additional cultural aspects I imagine it um can only make the experience more difficult right definitely definitely um you know I hope eventually you know I do get to see more families um and sort of work through conflicts in like a more like healthy way. I think the piece that's really missing is, and I and I'm not saying just in the South Asian um, culture, but you know just in general is like that psycho education piece is kind of putting like this vocabulary to what we're feeling, this vocabulary to what we're thinking. Um, Cause you know, I mean, in the Indian language, so to speak, like there's no words for really like anxiety or like bipolar disorder or like depression like there's no there's no vocabulary for it so it's like how are we supposed to talk about it even you know right that's that's so interesting I never thought about how there wasn't like ways to verbalize it across all different languages cultural barriers so have you Mm -hmm. found a way like have you had to 
I guess, how have you navigated that? Like, have you had to kind of make your own set of rules there? Um, sort of. Like, I try to do a little bit of both. Like, kind of just say, like, oh, like, you know, you're feeling like, you know, your hands are shaking and you're, you know, your 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 heart's racing and like, you know, you know, those are those are associated with what we call anxiety. And like, it's not that these like they don't know like the word for it, but it's like we can't explain it to somebody, and we sure cannot explain it to our relatives or our parents because mm-hmm. they're just going to kind of be like, oh, that's not a real thing, right? Like, so then it's right. like, you know, you kind of have to figure out, feel like, how do I make it real? And I realize that if I talk about symptoms, like it'll be a little bit more real, but yeah. I cannot talk about this like imaginary concept. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely been difficult, and I and I will say like I'm still navigating how to you know, kind of talk about these like really important topics, especially like when we talk about like anxiety and depression, like not even talking about like any like persistent mood disorder, you know, I'm just talking about like the basic, you know. Right. Like the basic mental health kind of terminology. Right. Yeah. Right. And two, you know, why we wanted to have you come on to talk about attachment styles and family conflict. And I think that's like that another piece and let me know what you think of this. So that's like education is like how um, our parents influence us. Right. And I feel like that must be a really difficult thing. Um, I mean, I feel like that's a difficult thing across a lot of cultures right? to explain to your parents like these actions led to me feeling like not to blame, right. But to explain like these actions led to me having this type of attachment style. So this is why this is showing up for me. I feel like that is really difficult in a lot of cultures. And I imagine even more difficult without like the language in South Asian culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say like, that's probably the first like hurdle or battle or step in therapy that I have to go through with a lot of my clients or even, you know, just people that reach out for like consultations and is, is that piece right there. It's kind of just, you know, I think we, we want to jump to be like, Oh, it's not, I don't, I'm okay. Like I need you to talk like, or like, they'll be like, I need my mom to figure this out Mm -hmm. or like, I need her to go to therapy. And like, how do I make her do something? How do I make my dad do this? And like, or my brother or my sister. And, you know, they really don't, take into account that like it's this piece that like we cannot control what they do you know so I really had to like talk a lot about like the the aspect of control because we learned that from right our parents our models our caregivers you know that's who we're learning it from that we need to control other people's actions like that's that's something that's learned right we're not just born with that um so yes I to your point like I've definitely see I mean that's a that's probably the the cornerstone of those conversations. You know, I have to get over that piece to really be able to do some like true work is to let go of that like family or like blaming the family. I want to call it, you know, blaming the parents sort of, but also realizing that like, can we get to a place where we understand what our parents did, how they parented, why they parented the way they did and just accept it for what it is, realize how it impacts us. And then, you know, learn from their mistakes and not, you know, not do it to our children. So, so that's when we get to that piece of like that real like intergenerational trauma that I work with a lot. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't that be amazing, right? If we could all break the cycles of trauma across all cultures, right? right. Realize that it's not about blaming, but it's an explanation mm-hmm. for how why we are the way that we are because our parents impact us so much. And um, speaking of that, should we get into attachment styles and how those are formed and what the different types of attachment styles are? Yes, let's let's go for it. Um, So the ones that I will focus on are the four main ones. Um, So that's anxious, avoidant, disorganized, and secure. So with anxious attachment style, we really see that that closeness in relationships, but really like no amount of closeness is really adequate. So we're we're wanting more of that. it's not really ever satisfying. Um, they, you know, it's someone that feels easily disappointed or unloved. And then, you know, kind of moving on to avoidant, this is where you see that typical, like, scared of commitment. Um, they can rationalize out of many situations. Um, they feel crowded. They feel suffocated easily. Um, and then with disorganized, this is usually the result of some type of trauma that may have happened um, in childhood. Um, there's a lot of push and pull in the relationship. So what's interesting about disorganized attachment is that most of these people who, you know, exhibit this, you know, they really do desire like that intimacy, but it's almost they're fearful of having that intimacy for because it might get taken away. And then of course we have secure. Um, that's where, you know, you, you can have these intimate relationships. You enjoy your autonomy, but you're also able to be open you know, with others and you're, you're able to communicate and share your feelings. Um, so I think the reason why it's important just like overall is that this is really how we relate to other people and it doesn't, and, and it impacts like our most like intimate relationships. It impacts how we parent it impacts what type of friend we are and like how we view friendships. So, you know, the more work I was doing with, couples and families, I was realizing, you know, this theory of attachment styles just held a lot of weight in, you know, the relationships that I was seeing. Yeah. Well, thanks for describing the four main types of attachment styles. And yeah, I love attachment theory. I utilize it in lots of my sessions. And I feel like clients to like see attachment style stuff on social media and they're like tell me my attachment style (laughs) let's let's pull back and we'll figure it out together because yeah it absolutely is how we relate to people and as social beings we exist within relationships right so I think understanding our attachment style can help us learn more about ourselves and help us learn more about our behavior and our relationships overall right and then you know when we get to the parenting aspect of that and you know I was reading um Bowlby like his you know all the work that he did with that and he was kind of like the one that originally you know started you know his research research with attachment styles and you know when I was looking through it I was like okay so these are these are our first interactions we really have with the world right like these are like the first people that show us like how to view the world and so you know with that anxious attachment style we really see the caregiver um going back and forth between this extreme where like one extreme is nurturing um sensitive and responsive and then but then there's this other extreme which may be a little bit more dismissive cold um and not as responsive 
And so that actually causes the child from what, from what they've seen in these studies to become excessively clingy. Cause they're like, okay, well, if I'm clingy, then they have to respond to me, you know? And then the caregiver does out of frustration, right? Cause they're like, okay, you're crying, you're clinging to me. Like I'm going to respond to you, but it's not because they had necessarily had a need. It's because they were, you know, doing something excessive. And then they found like with avoidant, there was like little to no response from the caregiver. So there was almost like a disregard there for like their needs, their wants. And then, you know, you see, you see in these situations, like more of like shaming the child, um, almost like, like showing visibly that you're annoyed that the child's having these like feelings, you know, what they call, you know, big feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, And almost like sort of this lack of responsibility as in like, you know, you should be able to self-soothe right now, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then when disorganized and like, you know, I did mention before, like, that's kind of, we see that a lot with like the result of trauma neglect, abuse. Um, and you know, there's a lot of chaos in the household. Um, and the, the caregivers are, they're, they're so inconsistent. You know, we see this a lot with children that have been in foster care, like children, like the caregivers are just so inconsistent that they don't actually know when these needs will be met. So then you kind of have what they, you know, disorganized sometimes, sometimes called fearful avoidant um and it's and it's different than avoidant in the sense that you know avoidants don't necessarily want that intimacy sometimes but whereas like disorganized attachment they do want they desire that intimacy but they're just scared of it um and then we have secure and that's when you know the parent is responding to needs um the child feels safe protected regulated which is really important um and you know all the needs are responded to and you know i was reading something just the other day and it was saying like it was it was like 60 percent of western culture is securely attached which i thought was really interesting because that's a lot of people um you know when you think about the majority is securely attached and you know and i was thinking i was like well that hasn't been my case and i'm like well you know maybe the securely attached aren't the ones I'm seeing, you know, like in private practice, you know, maybe they're not the ones coming to therapy or in inpatient psych. And like, so, I mean, you know, I've been in the mental health field for 10 years and that's not been my, you know, my experience at all. So I don't, it was kind of like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that, that is a really surprising statistic. That seems 60% seems like a lot of people and i guess maybe it is like you were saying like those people just aren't coming to therapy which i guess might make a little bit of sense but um i know you mentioned that these form really really early in childhood how early is this from like infancy kind of toddler age school age mm-hmm. well i'm pretty sure like when they were doing research on it in the 70s and 80s they were saying like right like it's your earliest bond like day one and that's what makes it that time period so critical. Um, they were saying up to like, I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I, I want to say like the first couple months, like mm-hmm. it's, it's such a critical time period um, with, and I think a lot of that is just like the responsiveness of the caregiver played a mm-hmm. huge role in that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I had that exact same response when I saw that statistic about the 60% because I was like, no way in hell is that accurate. Because I was like, as a trauma therapist, there's just no way that 60% right. of um, people in America or the Western um, hemisphere are walking around with secure attachments. But I guess yeah. what, what you were saying makes sense. Like, okay, maybe that's just not the population that we see. And so we mm -hmm. have like a warped view on that 60%. Um, and yeah, like attachment styles do, they even, I think they even say your attachment style can form in the womb, right? And like how oh, you, even mm -hmm. the way that you're born, like if it, it's not wow. um, vaginal or um, C-section, like that can affect your attachment style. I think mm -hmm. that's more like the, um, more like the genetic side and then the environmental side is obviously like your caregiver. At least that's how I understand it. That's a lot of pressure. Like, you know, you got to start thinking about that as soon as you're pregnant. Wow. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and not to get too off on a tangent. Yeah. I was, I was listening to another podcast just yesterday and I was talking about epigenetics and how we can alter them. And just like the trauma that like you may have had, you don't have to pass it down in your genes. And I'm just like, it is really, really interesting work, but it, it's it's very intricate and like you really have to sit down and like learn about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to wrap your head around, especially right. as a lay person. Like I'm not a therapist. I'm just kind of really interested in mental health. And yeah, yeah for somebody without that, you know, extra educational background, I'm just like, ooh, this is a lot of pressure. Got to make sure, you know doing everything right before I have kids because who knows if something that happened to my grandma can come back and affect another <laughs> generation. Yeah. Ashley, you, you know what the good news is though that they um, to have a secure attachment, you don't need to be perfect. Uh, or like to have your child be Ooh. your secure attachment. They actually have exactly. a, um, a phrase that was you know a long time ago called the good enough mother. Um, it doesn't have to be a perfect. So even way back then, they knew that people didn't need to be perfect. They just right. needed to be good enough. And, you know, that's nuanced, of course, mm -hmm. right? But secure attachment is like, I think even in the definition, it's like it's um, generally or mostly is responsive to the child because, you know, no parent is going to be perfect. Always. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't need yeah. to do everything right. Just most. No, I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. God. <laughs> And I do try to teach, you know, exactly to that point. Like, you know, I do try to teach people because they're like, oh, like secure, you know, they hear secure and they're like, oh, this is the, this is the goal or this is the, you know, this is the ideal. And it's, it, you know, and sometimes that's not necessarily the case. Um, I was reading um, Attached by Dr. Levine and Rachel Heller. Love that book. Yeah, great book. And I think like, you know, they make that argument that they're like, they're sort of just like, you don't need to be sick. It's not, it's not that you necessarily need to get to secure attachment, but it's that the other people, you know, your inner circle, I think is what they say, needs to show, needs to make you feel secure. And I thought mm -hmm. that was a really interesting concept. Like, mm hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And let's talk about that because I think what's a really important reason to understand your attachment style is to understand how it shows up in, in your inner circle, like in your relationships, particularly in adulthood, whether it's romantic um, or friendships or coworkers, right? Like I think our, obviously with our inner circle, friends and family, I think have the most impact. Um, 
But yeah, let's talk a little bit about how we, our attachment style can influence how we show up in relationships. Yeah, I think it really, I think most people notice their attachment style from what I've seen through conflict. And that's what's really interesting with it. It's like they don't really notice it until there's a conflict with their, how they are or the perceived that how they are and, you know, sort of what they're saying. Um, I know like in, um, you know, when they talk about trauma, um, oh my gosh, the guy that wrote, um, that book, what was it called? Uh, I know who you're, are you talking about, um, the body keeps score? Yeah. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, Bessel Van Der Kolk, I want to say is his name. You know, he talks about how, um, what does he say? I actually wrote it down somewhere. Yeah. He said, so he says that like trauma comes back as a reaction and not a memory. And I thought that's like really interesting. So I think like with attachment styles, we're really seeing like a lot of attachment styles are, are reactions. You know, they're, they're like very like unconscious responses to an, a behavior. Um, a good, like, I'm just going to give an example. So if I'm working with a couple, let's say, and the, when they when they argue the 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 male this is a male female relationship the the male will sort of disconnect he won't respond and then and then the girl will or the female will you know send a bunch of text messages and a bunch of phone calls and all of that stuff so what's happening now is like you know she's feeling anxious because she's like I'm not getting a response he doesn't love me anymore he doesn't even I don't know you know he's probably gonna end the relationship. Whereas like he is probably getting overstimulated, he's overwhelmed and, you know, that just might be way more than he can handle in the moment. And so, you know, when I, and and I see this situation over and over and over again and I'm like, okay, well it has to be just not, not that they don't, you know, love each other or care about each other or that they, it's just more so like, this is just something almost innate in them and how they're responding and like how they're reacting. Like he feels his boundaries are violated. So he's not responding because he's uncomfortable. He doesn't feel safe and she doesn't feel safe because she feels like she's being left. I mean, those are very extreme emotions. Right. So I think like, you know, that, and that's like in a, you know, uh, an example in a romantic relationship, but I think in a more, um, like with friendships, I think that happens too. You know, we see it and especially with like family relationships, I think it's a lot about how we respond when we don't feel safe in the relationship, I would Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And I've even seen that show up in friendships in small ways. You know, you have that Mm -hmm. friend that will send 50 texts just back to back, even if you're not responding, just like stream of consciousness, trying to get it all out there. And then you have the person that checks their phone, their text twice a day gets back to you in two to five business days, like just trying to, you know, keep their boundaries. So I've definitely seen that show up there. And it really is interesting when you think about how your attachment style can show up in therapy and especially with like these interpersonal conflicts. It's almost like you need to know your attachment style when you go to therapy. You know, you talk about like, what's bothering you, what, you know, things you've been diagnosed with in the past. And maybe we should add in here, let's take an attachment style test to to see what's going on. Yeah, I definitely think that would be helpful. I I do. Um, I think it's also like when you're feeling that sort of like discomfort and that almost like violation is like when people are like, okay, like, 
I want to learn this. You know, I've never had someone be like, oh, I don't care to know that information, you know? Right. I think I, you know, and I, and I also say, you know, this is not something, um, I know, I didn't know if we were going to go into it, but kind of just like, you know, we talked a little bit about like, if it can change a little mm-hmm. bit, like if attachment styles can change. And I would, and that's kind of that point where it's like, I think, you know, I don't, I don't really know if like the person necessarily changes. Um, Cause you know, it is just, but I do think like they're able to enhance sort of like the closeness, the communication, the connectedness. And also mm-hmm. I think it helps us pick or like, pick as in select people in our inner circle that are going to make us feel secure. And I think that's a really interesting concept because I know in the, um, the dating world, that's something that people are really getting into is sort of the psychology behind why do I, you know, why do I, why am I attracted to who I'm attracted to, you know, mm-hmm. and what does that mean? And almost mm-hmm. always you're going to find attachment style has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I lived that dynamic that in with my boyfriend in college, I lived that um, he didn't, you know, when we were in conflict, he didn't want to talk. He wanted to just run away, turn his phone off. And I, as someone oh. with an anxious attachment style, was couldn't handle that, right? So I would send the 50 texts. I would call. I would show up at his place, right? Like I lived that mm-hmm. dynamic because I... Uh, one, I didn't know what attachment styles were. I didn't know mm-hmm. why I was um, feeling this way or why he was feeling this way, right? And now that I'm able to reflect back on that relationship, I'm like, it was an anxious attached person with an avoidant attached person, right? And within mm-hmm. conflict, that's really difficult to navigate because you're both, yeah, you're both feeling such different things. Um, and also now in my current relationship, going into like how attachment styles can change it's not that I don't think I'm anxious attached anymore but I feel like I'm in a much more secure relationship with a much more responsive and healthy individual so it's really interesting that's also why I love attachment theory right because your attachment style can definitely shift in the way that you might be with people who show you said it earlier like they show you that sense of safety right and they allow you to feel secure even if like you're like I guess even if you still feel on paper, like you meet the criteria for that anxious attachment style, the way that your partners or your friends show you that can help shift your um, feeling of attachment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. And you know, I don't know if it's a therapist thing. I feel like all of us have some like level of anxious attachment, Um, (laughs) but you know, I think the situation that you described um, with your past relationship, you know, I think that's a very like, you know, that's a very normal, like, and popular sort of attachment that like anxious and avoidant. Um, I see it over and over again. And, you know, I've also seen it work, you know, it's not that I haven't, like, I've definitely seen it work in some situations, but it really takes a lot of understanding. And like, like I said, going back to the vocabulary, like, and also just, are we willing to meet in the middle? Are we willing to kind of compromise? Like, if you're mad, are you willing to send a text message to say, like, hey, I will talk to you and, you know, when I get off work and we'll go to dinner and talk about, like, are you, are you willing to do that for each other? Like, are you willing to only call once, you know, to get this person's attention? Um, so I think that's something that, you know, I, a lot of people ask me, they're like, okay, well then who should I date? Or like, or most, or more so like, why do I keep dating the same person, the same type of person? And almost always it goes back 
to their childhood and like what those relationships were there with their you know original caregivers were like you know like mm-hmm. and I think those are sometimes like really difficult um conversations to face I think um yeah. to think that something that happened when you because people don't like it right they're like I didn't have any control of that though you know it's like I'm I'm a grown-up now like I'm in I'm in my 30s 40s like I should, I should be able to control like who I like and why I like them. And that's just, you know, I think to that point, like, I think that's where attachment styles can be a little frustrating. Um, but yeah, I think it's a lot about like what was modeled for you, you know, in that way. And I did, I remember long before I knew what attachment theories were, I had a friend tell me, oh, I'm realize I'm attracted to these relationships where the guy is more rude or we get in these huge explosive fights because Mm -hmm. that's what I saw growing up like my parents were always fighting with each other always screaming at each other so that's how I see love communicated and that's how I always thought it was and that was kind of my first you know experience looking into attachment theories and I know we mentioned that we don't know if we can actually like quote change our attachment styles in adulthood but do you ever see that in childhood say for example a child is raised in a two-parent household no trauma that they know of um, and then at 10 years old one parent gets divorced and leaves can that change your attachment style while you're still kind of in that adolescent age I mean, I would say it definitely can. Yeah, I think I think, you know, divorce is trauma, you know, when they talk about like childhood, you know, trauma, like anything, anything that disrupts like your regular scheduled life or lifestyle is going to affect that. Um, I think, you know, I think it also depends on what's modeled after that, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you saw your parents in this close, like more loving relationship, and then, you know, then you see them get divorced and you don't really know what happened or anything like that. I think that's where that communication piece is, you know, really important because like, you know, um, while we're not expecting people to be perfect, I think it's just about being able to communicate saying like, Mm -hmm. this is why these things are happening and it's not your fault. And, you know, we both, you know, we both love you and like, you know, those things aren't going to change. I absolutely think that child could still grow up and have a secure attachment style. I think it would just really depend what happened before. Mm-hmm. So like to your point, like I think I, I want to say that, you know, just from my own experience, I would say that the earlier years are probably more important. Like mm-hmm. those, like when you're, you know, from right, right. Even before you're born to, uh, you know, those first couple months, but you know, I, I don't think that like something would, you know, change it that much just but it would depend on the situation of course right exactly and kind of what I'm hearing you say too is it also just depends on how it's communicated you know did your parents kind of set you down and explain why exactly this is happening or are you left in the dark like I don't know why this happened then turns into a ball of anxiety right and I will say a lot of people you know I know we said like conflict um with relationships but I think also when people become parents they don't like, then they're like, then they become hyper aware of their attachment style because mm-hmm. they're, they're realizing like, what did my mom do when I felt like this, you know? And, and I will say like, I see that a lot with my, you know, South Asian clients too, because we're really, ha- we're 
a generation that's really having to relearn how to parent mm-hmm. in America because it's yeah. very different than parenting, you know, in India. Um, so sure. I think that's really why I wanted to learn more about, attach, you know, more about the science behind attachment styles because of that, actually. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. I imagine it is very different across cultures. Um, and kind of going back to when we were talking about, like, what we see modeled, right, and how, like, conflict and what we see um, – I feel like a lot of times people were like, well, I never saw my parents fight, which isn't necessarily a good thing, right? Because you also didn't get any conflict management skills. But then if Mm -hmm. you see very explosive types of arguments that like, I can't remember which one of you was saying that, but like that might be what you interpret as love, right? Like, oh, well, you know, screaming at each other, even like domestic violence, right? Like that must be what it is because my parents say that they love each other and that they love me. So that must be what it is. And that impact that it has on when then if you are in a relationship and let's just say your partner doesn't want to engage in that kind of conflict because that's not what they saw growing up. I feel like that dynamic is really interesting because it's like, wait, this is boring. Why is there no crazy explosive types of conflict in my relationship? This must not be a good, quote unquote, good relationship. They must not love me because they don't want to engage in that explosive Mm -hmm. conflict that I, the only thing I ever saw growing up. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what we call like missing the drama or like, you know, dating drama. Right. It's like, it's like, I don't like, it's really how we perceive to be loved and what love looks like, you know, I, I definitely agree with you. I think that's so important. Um, especially like conflict resolution, like we sort of have to see that modeled for us, for us to even know how to do it. And then what happens is like, you know, a lo- you know, if our parents didn't model that, then we become like, you know, we have these like intimate relationships and we don't know how to regulate ourselves. And that's where the other problem comes from. It's kind of like, and, with, and I think all of these attachment styles, like, you know, it's, you know, maybe besides the care, but like, it's like, it's a regulation aspect mm-hmm. to it as well. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, like that, that give and take, right? Like, can you right. self-regulate? I was unable in college to self-regulate, which right. means I, I was looking for that co-regulation and wasn't getting it. So I was getting no regulation, right? I wasn't able to self self-soothe but I also wasn't getting that co-regulation which both you know as we know are important but I think you're absolutely right that there's a huge component of self self-soothing that has to go into shifting your attachment style yeah definitely and I think a lot of that's easier not easier but like you know when it's when we learn it at a younger age it becomes easier to navigate relationships in adulthood but when we kind of see that missing piece, I think that's what really like leaves us with these sort of broken relationships or kind of relationships that don't seem to be, you know, cohesive at all. Or like, you know, two partners are on completely different pages on, you know, and that's such an important part, you know, when you're, you know, in like, you know, some sort of like couples counseling is like managing conflict. I mean, that's like one of the most important pieces and and also not being fearful of the conflict mm-hmm. um i think that's really important as well i feel like that is so common to see people feeling especially like in the people pleasing population like that fear of conflict is like well does conflict 
if is conflict bad? I feel like a lot of people have that in their mind that conflict is bad. And then if you try to say, well, no, a conflict actually can be good. It can actually bring you closer to people if you're able to do it in a healthy way. I feel like people hear that and they're like, nope, that's not for me. I'm just going to avoid conflict at all costs. But then, you know, to what detriment? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's kind of interesting, just sort of the example you brought up earlier with your past relationship is why people who are, you know, I mean, we can kind of understand, you know, why people who are anxious would like be attracted to or want to be with someone who is avoidant. Like what are, like, what are they getting out of, you know, and also like vice versa. So it's like, so it's like, you really think about it. It's like these, these people need something from each other, but they just have no idea what to ask for. And then you just have two people just like kind of asking for things that the other person doesn't have. And, you know, of course that's going to cause, you know, so much like disarray and, you know, neglect of like the actual relationship. Mm -hmm. You bring up such another important piece of attachment style is understanding your needs, right? Under, mm-hmm. Because it's not bad to be anxious or uh, avoidant or disorganized, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a, a you know really also an important piece to understand is it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means that you might have different needs. Like as someone who is anxious attached, I feel like my needs yeah. are physical touch and words of affirmation, right? Because even though I feel secure in my relationship, those things help me feel more secure, right? And so being able to tell my partner that, but I didn't know that in college, right? right. I know that now, but I I don't I didn't know my needs in college and so yeah if you're unable to communicate your needs then our partner might not know how to help us right and you know and if and if I don't tell you necessarily what I need or how I want to be treated or like you know that sort of thing or what or like what my needs are when I'm feeling abandoned or you know that sort of thing it's like yeah there's a piece of self-regulation but also like we should be able to provide our partner with as much information as we know about mm-hmm. ourselves so that they can make decisions accordingly. And then now we have to kind of, tr- there's that trust piece too. It's like, I trust that, you know, if I have, if I'm, if, you know, if I have anxious attachment that if my partner and I argue that he's not going to, like you said, like turn his phone off because he knows that that's going to send me, you know, to this place mentally that, you know, where I'm going to be so dysregulated and I'm going to be thinking the worst and I'm not going to be able to be productive in my day um, because I'm just going to be so hyper fixated on the relationship. So it's this, it's almost like extremes, you know, um, like living at an extreme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious how the attachment styles kind of come to play within inner family conflicts in Do you see typically, like if you see, you know, an entire immediate family, is it typically like everybody has the same attachment style or they could all have different ones? And how does that turn into helping them navigate different issues? Yeah, I think with families, um, I think I would definitely say that they have like varying attachment styles depending on like I think a lot of that's also like temperament and like personality Mm -hmm. um and sort of what the parents or the you know the primary caregivers are modeling each each you know of the children you know in this situation would sort of you know take the piece that they're getting that's making them feel secure from 
the original meaning the caregiver's attachment style and kind of running with that that's that's how I would perceive it um mm-hmm. I feel like in the family system with attachment styles there is a lot of it's it's kind of goes back to that like that regulation piece like usually if they're coming to me and they're you know they're in therapy um there's been a conflict and some and you know you know sometimes that conflict conflict might be like a teenager wanting a lot of autonomy or something Mm -hmm. like that but but then still in the where where the parents or the mom who might be like more anxiously attached is scared like I don't want my child to leave for college or that like the parents are feeling like my child needs to fulfill some need that I have Mm -hmm. and I see that a lot um and that's also like and I and I could make the argument that that goes back to that mom's attachment style you know Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the biggest trope in, you know, Disney Channel movies. It's like the dad wants the son to go play football or basketball or something at some big school. And at the end of the movie, he's like, dad, that's not my dream. It's yours. You know, that's been done like a million <laughs> different times. So it's so interesting that there's actually like a psychological component to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing with like the sexist term daddy issues right? I think that the issue with it is with the dad and his attachment style and how he um, t- attached to his daughters, right? Like we blame the, the girl for whatever she does with those quote unquote daddy issues. But yeah, it's the attachment style of the parent and how they attach to their child that actually impacts the, the daughter's um, relationships in adulthood. So really what we're hearing is that it, your attachment style <laughs> can't invent everything yeah yeah it really can and it's so when you really like look at it it's actually really you know it's it's interesting but it's it affects everything almost every relationship you have um and I will say that like with certain attachment styles like you know when I work with you know let's say like a new mom and you know she'll be like you know, I love, like, obviously, you know, I love my baby, like, all this stuff, but I, I'm very overstimulated by by my baby, and then it's, like, you know, let's say we'll talk a little bit further, and then come to find out, but, you know, she does have, like, a more avoidant attachment style, where, like, somebody excessively needing her to this extent of a baby, you know, who doesn't, who, you know, that's what the baby's gonna do, right? Um, there's no one else to meet the baby's needs. It's actually almost overstimulating for her and triggering, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, and then I think like once we're able to tell someone like, Oh, this is like, you're not a bad mom, you know, it's like you, like, of course you want to respond to this need. It's okay that you're overstimulated. This is why. And I think that just like that, like that simple, almost education piece just like changes the perspective so much that like, Oh, I'm just like, I'm not terrible. I'm not a terrible, terrible mom for being overstimulated. This is just, sort of what was modeled for me or this is like how I you know I can be prepared to better regulate myself for these situations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no that's such a good point and that's why you know I was so excited when you wanted to come on and talk about attachment styles because it's so important to normalize that your attachment style is just a part of you right and it it's a part of you that helps us make sense of so much right like we've talked about so many different scenarios today that help us our attachment style can help us make sense and the good news is that we can learn to we can learn what our needs are right we can learn how to communicate those needs we can yeah just be validated and okay yeah I'm not 
I'm not crazy or I'm not a bad mom or I'm not a bad friend or a bad partner. It's just I have these certain um, feelings associated with my attachment style that impact the way that I show up in these relationships and I can learn to shift that. But yeah, that first piece of validation I think is so important. Right. And I think it validates so much and it just gives us more information about ourselves. Um, you know, I see, um, you know, it even being brought up with people who may have like substance abuse um, problems. Like, you know, it's it's something that it, it that causes like if, we're, if we don't have enough information on how to regulate ourselves and like it, enough information on like who we should sort of select in our intimate circle, you mm-hmm. know, we're going to run into you know, it's almost like we're going to, we're going to keep having that same trauma or like that same trauma, drama, you know, that sort of thing until mm-hmm. we figure out like what, cause like, we're not going to, right. We're not going to stop until we, we feel safe. Right. Like mm-hmm. we're not going to, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep going and we're going to think like, Oh, this time it's going to be different when actually nothing has changed. So, you know, I definitely think that just knowing is so important, which is, you know, yeah. Can you speak more on that? Like the, we're going to keep going because um, we think it's going to work this time? Yeah, I think, you know, I see that, you know, all the time. You know, it's like, it's like I'm in a date, like, you know, I see it's like, it's almost like dating the same person with like, you know, I'm just going to use in the term of an intimate relationship. Like it's like dating the same person, but the only thing that's changing is their face or their job mm-hmm. or their, you know, something like that. And it, and, it, and it happens over and over and over again, and it fails over and over and over again. And at some point, it's like, how do we stop putting ourselves through that, you know, trauma and sort of move on, you know, to, to what's better suited for us? And, you know, because, you know, what's that going to do? I mean, ultimately, it's going to be uncomfortable, but it's also going to, you know, I'll be more joyful in my relationship. I'll be more secure in my relationship. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely think it depends on, like, which – attachment style you may have but you know definitely for someone that's anxious like you know for someone not to understand like you know an anxious person you know that attachment style and they're avoidant I mean that can be really harmful for both parties right um and they're but they're but like I said like they want something from each other but they don't know what they want from each other so they're going to keep doing it until they figure it out you know, mm-hmm. and this is just sort of like out in the world. This is not necessarily even, you know, and then, you know, eventually they, they come to a point and usually I see them maybe like right before they get married or right after they have a baby or like, you know, some major life event happens where they're like, okay, we can no longer just blindly take from each other because we don't even know what we're asking for, you mm-hmm. know? So mm-hmm. that's kind of what I mean about like, we're going to make that same the same patterns, you know, and I think that's another thing. Attachment styles can really help us recognize these patterns we have in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it it's so I wanted you know to hear more about that because I think it's so interesting and so true. So, like we seek mm-hmm. to recreate these same patterns, hoping for a different outcome. Yet it doesn't happen until we shift something. Right, like we have to shift something within us um, or within our relationship in order to actually see a different. Uh, pattern or a different outcome and I think that goes back to like doing the inner work right like understanding yourself and understanding your relationships and you know be to be able to show up in a different way in relationships and actually have the desired outcome you want right 
Yeah, no, I definitely, it's, it's so important. And, you know, I hope like the more people find out about attachment styles and, you know, I hope they're able to translate, translate it into sort of their own life and their own decisions and their own relationships. And like with the goal of having like, you know, these like healthy relationships, building like healthy relationships, you know, they build healthy families, they build, you know, it's just, it's an all around wellness, I think component to it as well you know. And have you ever noticed with any certain type of attachment style, say, for example, anxious, people kind of label that as bad, like, oh, no, I'm an anxious attachment style. Like, that's kind of a negative connotation to it. Yeah, I think there's definitely an acceptance piece that goes with it. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think when, you know, I think I took the, I took that the quiz and I was like oh it says I'm anxious and I'm like oh am I just an anxious person and it's like well no it's kind of just you really have to think about like those are those like what was modeled for me right it goes back to that it's like what like does it does this make sense like I feel like more than often people are like oh this makes sense like this is Mm -hmm. why I'm like this like or this is why I'm attracted to this person like I really think it gives us more information um, and of course, there'll always be that sort of, you know, you hear, I think it's also the vocabulary, you hear the word secure, and you're like, oh, that's what I want to be. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, and I will say secure attachment, you know, I'm sure it comes with its own problems. I'm sure it has to, right? Um, you know, I don't really see them in my office, but <laughs> they exist, I'm sure. <laughs> they have to, you know, or maybe they have their own set of problems and attachment, isn't it? You know, it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's kind of what I was saying before. I think sometimes we there's a negative connotation with like the mm-hmm. word disorganized or mm-hmm. insecure. It's like, well, I don't want to be those things. But then, yeah, that acceptance piece. And I think, yeah, I feel like I've seen the similar um, sense of, no, this makes so much sense. And how do we, you know, now that I know that and I feel validated, what can I do about it? And I think we touched on some of that, like that inner work and shifting your relationship patterns and dynamics. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen like a lot of people do like inner child healing, like with knowing their attachment styles. I mean, that 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 sort of work is so powerful and it's so incredible. Um, and I mean, it shows us like level of vulnerability. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I wish we had more time to touch on this. This idea of uh, shifting the relationship you have with yourself is also really important, right? Like that inner child work and like that, um, right. the, that way you talk to yourself and if you're okay to spend time by yourself, I think that mm-hmm. also plays into our attachment style. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, um, I think the biggest thing is like finding that balance. Right. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I, you know, I encourage my clients like not to live in extremes. Um, so it's just sort of finding that balance. Like, you know, if you are an anxious attachment style, like, what are some things that you can do to balance that like with your relationships? Like if someone's not texting you back, like maybe just, you know, distract yourself or think about like, okay, they're probably not texting back because they're, they're at work and that's okay. And like, you know, just kind of like that sort of like self-talk not, and also like straying away from that negative talk, like, Oh, they don't like mm-hmm. me anymore. They don't want to be my friend. They don't love me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I really think that's where therapy comes in, honestly, like it's really, yeah rewiring some of those um thoughts mm-hmm. kind of going back to that self-soothing that we were talking about like that's such an important piece i think of your attachment style yeah definitely. 
And what's the best way for somebody to figure out their attachment style? Are there resources out there that they can kind of take a quiz and find out? Yeah, I think that attached that book actually has a quiz. I think they have like 24 or 25 questions. Um, that's the one that I use. Um, I thought it was really cool. I'm sure like when you when you Google it, you can you can find something. But I really, you know, I would encourage everybody to read that book though. It's such, it's so powerful and it really helped me understand uh, my own sort of attachment styles and like the people around me. Um, you know, I actually read it like before I, I got married and I was like, oh wow, this this opened up you know, so much. And I was really able, and I've, you know, suggested this book to, you know, multiple couples and individuals I've worked with. And they all say like, Oh, like I, I found, like, I think it's the most, like the newest piece of literature. That's like, it's interesting. It's easy to read. And it, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of fun in the sense it has that quiz, you know, so, and people like that. So Mm -hmm. like interactive, right. Definitely. So I would, I would definitely recommend that book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and talking yeah, about was, attachment so styles. <laughs> yeah, so fun. And thanks, you know, for sharing your experience with the South, South Asian community. I think it's really important to be talking about that. And yeah, so we really appreciate your time today and your sharing your knowledge with us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I had a lot of fun. And yeah, just let me know if you guys ever need anything in the future. I'll be here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We would love to have you back. And we'll plug like all your Instagram handles and website and all that good stuff down in the show notes so people know where to find you. Yeah, and I definitely want to say, you know, I was listening to some of your episodes while I'm on my daily walk. And I, I love what you guys are doing here. It's been It's so interesting. I think it's going to be it is really, you know, I've, I've uh, referred it to my friends and stuff too, and they all really like oh, it. So thank you, you so much. <laughs> that means so a awesome. lot to us. Thanks for the support and thanks yeah, for coming on. Yeah, of course. <laughs>